God willing, today we're going to continue our study of the Didache, which is an ancient church document uh, describing a lot of the teachings and the practices of the early church. Uh, it was written in the first or second centuries, but the contents of it are some are things that had been practiced from um, much earlier than that. And that's why it is called the teachings of the 12 apostles. It's not that it was written by the apostles, but it, it contains the teaching that was passed down from the apostles and practiced in the church um, from the very beginning. So that's why it's very um, interesting and important for us to study it because we see a lot of the practices that we practice nowadays uh, in the church that have been maintained since that time. Um, it was it is divided into three sections so far last time we had discussed the first section um, which is more of like a spiritual um, part that is discussing kind of the way of life of the Christian um, we spoke about the two ways the way of life and the way of death and of course um, it's exhorting all of us to choose um, the way of life today we're going to focus on the second section um, if we if we finish it, we'll start on the third. But the second section is is more about instructions for worship, uh, things that are more like the rights of how we should practice things, how we should do um, certain things. So it starts out uh, with some instructions for baptism. So it says regarding baptism, baptize thus: after giving the foregoing instructions, baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit in running water. But if you have no running water, baptize in any other. And if you cannot in cold water, then in warm. But if the one is lacking, pour the other three times on the head in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But before the baptism, let the one who baptizes and the one to be baptized fast and any others who are able to do so. And, who, and, who shall, and you shall require the person being baptized to fast for one or two days. So there was um, a custom uh, in the early church uh, where there would be a period of catechism. Catechism is the, the period of time where the catechumen or the person who wants to become a member of the church would, would learn about the faith of the church, and it could last up to three years. There was a period of time where the catechesis would last for three years, and then on the Feast of the Resurrection, there would be like a mass baptism of all of the catechumens that were wanting to come to the church all at once. Um, and there would also be a period of fasting where the people would fast, sometimes without any food or, 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 or water at all, um, prior to the baptism. And all of this is emphasizing the importance of the sacrament that was going to be performed on them. We see also here the formula that um, the Lord Jesus Christ gave to the apostles when he told them to go and to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Mentions that uh, some of the ways of the baptism should be done and says if it is not possible for you to baptize by immersion, um, then pour the, uh, the water three times on the head um, uh, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So, of course, we baptize by immersion, but there are some uh, maybe emergency situations where uh, that cannot be done. So, for instance, if there is a, a child that is born um, prematurely and they are in the, in the NICU, um, and, of course, they are not able to, to come and their life is in danger. Um, so the priest can go and just anoint them uh, with the water um, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this is accepted. So the, th the, the thing that I want to emphasize about the rites of the church is the Lord taught us to do things a certain way. Right. He taught us to do things a certain way um, and we do them. But there might be exceptional situations where we cannot do them the exact way that we have been told to do them. And that's fine. 
God is merciful and He is flexible, but the exception doesn't justify um, the fact that the rule is not important, right? So we don't say that because there is a situation where God will accept baptism when it is not done by immersion, that means that immersion is not important. No, actually He taught us to do by immersion. The word baptize itself means to immerse, right? So the, the way that we are instructed to do the baptism is by immersion, but at the same time, God is not uh, confined to the, the the right of how it should be done. Just like the Lord Jesus Christ, he said what? Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Meaning the Sabbath is there as a useful tool, as a way of helping man um, for their salvation. But man is not restricted by it if it if there if there's no way that it can be done otherwise, right? So so there is flexibility in the way that we do things. But just because there's flexibility, it doesn't mean that we cancel when, you know, in the normal situation, when there's no reason to warrant an exceptional case, we don't cancel the um, the way that we were taught to do it from the beginning, the way that the Lord did it, and the way he taught us to do it. Yes. So the Lord, it's it's because of how the Lord Himself was baptized, right? So we are, we we take the model of baptism from when the Lord was baptized. So He was baptized in the Jordan River, so it was running water, and it was cold water, like it wasn't it wasn't from the tap, like there wasn't warmed water, right? So so just as the Lord was baptized uh, in the Jordan River, so we try to emulate that as much as possible. But but it says what if it is not possible, then you can use something else. So of course, we don't have many rivers. Right to go and baptize people in the river, so we baptize with the tap water that we have. Yeah. Okay, chapter eight is instructions for fasting and prayer. It says, but do not let your fasts be with the hypocrites, for they fast on Monday and Thursday, but you shall fast on Wednesday and Friday. So, who are these people that he's speaking about that fast Monday and Thursday? The Jews, yes, right? So the Jews had this practice to fast on Mondays and Thursdays. And as I think I mentioned last time, because the early church, the Christianity came from Judaism, so the church wanted to differentiate itself from the Jewish practice. We didn't want the, the, the people to see that we are just like a different denomination of Judaism. No, we are a completely different faith. And so in many ways we are different. Like I mentioned before, the way we calculate the Feast of the Resurrection, we calculate it such that we will 100% of the time definitely not um, uh, celebrate it at the same time as the Jewish Passover because we don't want people to think that we are the same. And this was especially important at the beginning, maybe not as much today, but at the beginning, um, because Christianity was a new religion and the, and, and the church wanted everyone to, to not associate with the Jewish, the old Jewish practices, because, of course, a lot of the people who are now Christian used to be Jews, and they wanted the Jews to understand that we are, we are believing in something different, we practice something different. So whatever the practices that were done, uh, they tried to change them. Okay? So in this case, it says don't, don't, um, uh, don't fast Mondays and Thursdays, but fast Wednesdays and Fridays. And the reason for choosing Wednesdays and Fridays, does anyone know why we fast Wednesdays and Fridays during the year? So the Friday is the crucifixion of Christ, so we fast in commemoration of the trial 
what happened on Wednesday, the betrayal, when Judas betrayed Christ. So every time we fast Wednesdays and Fridays, this is in commemoration of these events. And we are fasting because obviously this is something very important for us. And it's also like fasting is like a, a sign of, of like sorrow, repentance, um, contrition, right, mourning. And so we are mourning for these events that have happened, um, the betrayal of Christ, the crucifixion of the Lord. But at the same time, we're also joyful because through these things, we have received salvation. And do not pray as the hypocrites, but as the Lord directed in his gospel. Thus shall you pray, our Father in heaven, for thine is the power and glory forever. Three times in the day, pray thus. So even from the very beginning, uh, the church instructs uh, her, her members to pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Right? The prayer that we pray all the time. Um, three times every day. Okay? So the, the, the Jews... Um, had certain hours of prayer that they would pray and 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 the jews uh, the the christians now we have also certain hours of prayer that we pray and in those hours we are praying the lord's prayer even more than three times if you count the number of times we pray the lord's prayer just in the liturgy it's many many times right so our quota is filled right um so this is the instructions for fasting and prayer um just some this is obviously not the whole thing it's just some little captions that we can kind of think about. Um, there's also several instructions for the Eucharist. In regard to the Eucharist, you shall offer the Eucharist thus. First, in connection with the cup, we give thee thanks, our Father, for the holy vine of David, thy son, which thou hast made known to us through Jesus, thy son, to be thee, uh, to thee be glory forever. Okay? So there is, um, there, there, there is a connection with the cup, meaning there is both the body and the blood, just like the Lord instituted the Eucharist um, at the Last Supper, right, on, on Thursday of Holy Week, he instituted this, okay? This is why we also ha have a liturgy on Covenant Thursday to commemorate the, the, the Lord's establishing of the Sacrament of Communion in the Eucharist on Thursday um, of Holy Week, okay? And it's mentioning here, like, a prayer that could be prayed. Notice also, like, we don't say this exact prayer, right? Like today, we don't say this exact prayer. Something that is a ritual is, is, is a means by which people worship God. Like we have certain rituals in the church. The rituals, we, we do them because as a church, we are united together in praying the same way. We come to the one church and we pray a certain liturgy the same way. But there's nothing about the specifics of a specific rite that necessarily means that this is the only way that it can be done, right? There is other ways that people can pray. There are certain things that are necessary. For instance, like the, the canonical priest praying and asking God to turn the bread and the wine into the body and the blood of the Lord. But the specifics of the many prayers that we are praying, um, different Orthodox churches use different liturgies, for instance. And we ourselves in the Coptic Church, we have three different liturgies that have different words, different rites, different things. Um, the Eritrean Orthodox Church, I believe they have 14 different liturgies. Um, in the Eastern Orthodox Church, they have other liturgies as well. So what is the rite? The rite is not that God came from heaven and he said, you must use these exact words when you pray. Yes, there are some things where the Lord said, like when he said, when you pray, say thus. And he said, our Father who art in heaven. But there are many things that are just kind of left. The, 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 the prayers that we pray in the liturgy are supposed to be our own words that we are expressing to God, our, our, our beliefs 
that we're expressing to God our love for him. We're expressing to God our thanksgiving. We're expressing to God like glorification of who God is and praising him. And these are things that should be coming from our heart, right? It is, it is, it is the, the, the response that we have to God, the response of his love to us. Like he's demonstrating his love to us. And so in response to receiving this love, we respond with our prayers um, to him. And in connection with the breaking of bread, we give thee thanks, our Father, for the life and knowledge which thou hast revealed to us through Jesus thy Son. To thee be glory forever. As this broken bread was scattered upon the mountaintops, and after being harvested was made one, so let thy church be gathered together from the ends of the earth into thy kingdom, for thine is the glory and the power through Jesus Christ. So he's saying, just like, like the bread came from wheat, and the wheat was scattered in the fields, Right. And all of this wheat was gathered together and it was baked together to form one bread. Right. This is why in the church, um, in the liturgy, we always only have one bread. You know, some someone might say, well, if we have a church with a thousand people in it, you know, why don't we? And, and it's very hard to have a single, you know, orban uh, that is large enough for everyone. Why can't we have multiple ones? Because okay? the idea is, is that we are the one body. We are the one body of Christ. Christ's body is one and not divided. And so we take all of the, here this, this analogy is like we're taking all of this uh, wheat everywhere and we are c coming together and, and forming the one body of Christ. But let no one eat or drink of the Eucharist with you except for those baptized in the name of the Lord for it was in reference to this that the Lord said, do not give that which is holy to dogs. So what is this? So um, in an encounter that the Lord Jesus Christ had with a woman who was a Canaanite woman, she was not a Jewish woman, um, and she was asking Christ for his blessing. Um, she was asking him to perform a miracle for her. Um, and the Lord responded to her and says, like, we do not give that which is holy to, 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 to the dogs. Okay. Which means what? Which means that the things that are holy are made for those who are the holy. Like we are the vessels of the Holy Spirit, right? So we prepare ourselves to be vessels of the Holy Spirit so that when we receive the Holy Spirit, we are a place fitting for the Holy Spirit to dwell. This is why, for instance, we confess our sins. We purify ourselves. We fast for the night before we come to um, take of the Eucharist. We prepare ourselves and take seriously the sacrament so that when we take of the body and the blood of Christ, we are pure. And only those people who are baptized are the ones who are the vessels of the Holy Spirit. In baptism, the, the Holy Spirit comes upon us. We become the children of God. We become the vessels of the Holy Spirit. And so when we take of the Eucharist, we are, we are purified members waiting and receiving the Eucharist to ourselves. So this is why in the church, we do not give communion to people who are not orthodox, right? Some people might feel like this is like we are excluding people. We're, we're not excluding. We are actually inviting everyone to come and be a member of the body of Christ so that you can partake of Christ. You know, how is it that I can be, consider myself to be of the body of Christ, to be in communion with Christ when I myself, I'm, I'm, I'm far away from him. I'm not, I'm not yet a, a child of God because becoming children of God is through baptism. So I'm not yet a child of God, but then I want to be a member of his body, right? I, I cannot. 
Because communion is not just like a blessing. Like sometimes we see or we think about communion as like it's a blessing. It's something good. It's something to bless my life. That's not what it is. It, it is not just something good to bless my life. It is, the, it, is, it is to form us into the body and to be in communion with him. This is why it's called communion. We are in union. To be in union with Christ means also to be in union with one another. And if I am not of the body, then I cannot be in union. I am something still foreign. So yes, we are inviting all people to come and take communion. First, come and learn the faith. Accept what we believe. Take, be, be baptized in the church. Come into the one body. Be, take communion and be united with God and be united with everyone uh, in the church. So, so he's from again, from the very beginning, those people who were not baptized in the church, they were not um, to be considered for communion. And then here is uh, a beautiful prayer that would be prayed after taking communion. It says, We thank thee, Holy Father, for thy holy name, which thou hast caused to dwell in our hearts, and for the knowledge and faith and immortality, which thou hast made known to us through Jesus thy Son. To thee be glory forever. Thou, Lord Almighty, has created all things for thy name's sake, and has given food and drink to men for their refreshment, so that they might render thanks to thee. But upon us thou hast bestowed spiritual food and drink, and life everlasting through thy Son. For all things we render thee thanks, because thou art mighty. To thee be glory forever. Remember, O Lord, thy church, deliver it from all evil, and make it perfect in thy love, and gather it from the four winds, sanctified for thy kingdom, which thou hast prepared for it. For thine is the power and the glory forever. Let grace, uh, let grace come, and let the world pass away. Hosanna to the God of David. So it is a, it's a very beautiful prayer, just like we have, if you're familiar in Coptic Reader, if you go to the Igbeya, um, and there's a section called Selected Prayers, and you click on Communion, you will see there there is a list of prayers that we can pray, um, both before we take communion in preparation for the sacrament and after we've taken communion, giving thanks to God because he has counted us worthy to be united with him. Um, so this is another prayer that was prayed in the very early church. It's very, it's very nice to see that even then at that time, they would have these prayers that would be prayed and here the church is telling all the people, after you take communion, pray this prayer, right? Um, sometimes we feel like we are very far away from the early days of the church. But actually, the more we learn and read, we find that the practices that we practice are very similar to and very close to what the early church did from the very beginning. The things that we do are not arbitrary, right? We, we, we So many of the practices that we practice are based on the things that existed from the very beginning and then he it goes on and says if anyone is holy let him come if anyone is not let him repent maranatha amen maranatha means oh lord come it's something that means like uh, in expectation for the second coming of christ that we are saying maranatha right that's what that means if anyone is holy let him come Meaning if, if even in the liturgy we say what? The holy for the holies, right? Before we take communion. The priest says the holy for the holies. What does that mean? The holy is the Eucharist, right? The communion that we are going to take of. The holies are the people. So he's saying the holy body and blood of Christ for the holies. The people who are holy and have prepared themselves 
for the reception of this body and blood. So if anyone is holy, let him come. Of the people who are in the church, if anyone is prepared. And what does it mean to be holy? Being holy doesn't mean to be perfect. It doesn't mean to be without weakness or without sin. To be holy means a person is um, in the process of repentance, right? The process of repentance starts with the baptism and confirmation. But then it continues in our life through confession and communion, right? So it is like we are, we are examining our lives and we are taking seriously our uh, repentance. We are coming to confess and then in communion our sins are wa washed away so the person who is holy is a person who is seeking holiness the person who is com uh, confessing their sins repenting of their sins when they fall it is not saying a person who has no sin because sometimes some people might think well I am uh, disqualified from taking communion because I sin all the time well if, if, if those people who sin all the time were disqualified from taking communion no one would take communion Right? Why is it that God instituted this sacrament for us? It is because we are in need of forgiveness. Right? We are in need of forgiveness. How is it that I receive forgiveness? I receive forgiveness through the sacrament that Christ offers to me. So for me to not take the, the sacrament because I feel like I am unworthy. Yes, indeed we are unworthy. But Christ makes us to be worthy. Because in confession, he says what? I, 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 I remember your sins no more. Right? He forgets our sins whenever we confess our sins. So the person who is active in repentance and confession then is qualified to take communion. They can come and take communion and they can be cleansed from all of their sins. If anyone is holy, let him come. If anyone is not, meaning if anyone has committed sins that have not been repented of, okay, let him repent. Right. Also, this doesn't disqualify you. What do you have to do? You first repent and then you come and you take communion. All of us should be taking communion. Without communion, how can we say that we are the body of Christ? You know, imagine like you have a person who is a body, right? The head is Christ and the body is the church. And we are connected as one, right? As like one person, the head and the body, right? And so if a person is not taking communion, what does it mean? It means that that person is not in communion with the body and not in communion with the head, Right? So this is like a person who is disconnected from the body. They are not one with the body. Right? And, and even though they are physically present, you know, like they might be physically present in the church, but what is, it, what is it that makes us to be one? It is not simply showing up on Sunday. It is being one in Christ through the sacrament. The sacrament is what makes us to be one. Not just because we are all affiliated with the church, not because we are just all baptized, not because we all have the same faith. But to take communion means to be in communion, to be one with Christ. And this is something essential, something essential for all of us. You know, as, as believers, as Christians, we have to be one with the body um, and, and, and one with the Lord. Um, next time, God willing, so this is a good stopping point. Next time, um, we're going to discuss the third section which is specifically instructions to the clergy. Um, because the church, it was, it, it, the church had a very hard time at the very beginning because, number one, it was spread out over a, a large distance, which is one of the reasons that the Didache was even written, was to give instructions. Remember we said it's like an instruction manual for the church so that all the churches can practice the same thing, can believe the same thing. Um, but also there were a lot of false teachers. You know, even in the epistles, St. Paul speaks about these false teachers. 
um, even even while the apostles were still alive, <coughs> these people would come and they would seek honor for themselves or they would seek money for themselves. They would seek the hospitality of people. And their goal was not the salvation of the, of the, of the, of the church. Their goal was to use their position and their rank or pretend like they have a position and a rank so that they could get what they want from the people and from the church. And so this was something that was very common, you know? Like like nowadays, like things are much simpler. Like we know who our bishops are. Like we know who our priests are. We know who the Sunday school servants are. Like we know who is in what position, so we know who to trust, right? But if some random person were to come um, into the church and, and they want to start preaching, who is this person? And what is it that they're going to preach? We don't know. Right. And so it's it's easy to, to kind of say, no, we're not going to allow that because there's a there's a hierarchy and there's a structure and there's communication and whatnot. Whereas in the early church, it wasn't like that. You could have a person come claiming that they are some kind of teacher from such a place and the congregation might accept them to 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 come and to preach and to even provide for their needs, to give them money, to give them a place to stay, to give them food, all of this stuff. Where at the same time, this person might be teaching some false doctrine. And so that false doctrine begins to invade that church and to begins to spread in the churches. So one of the important things that is discussed in the Didache is how to identify if there is a false teacher, uh, how to treat such a person, and how to be careful so that this problem um, does not keep happening. Okay. Any final uh, questions or comments before we conclude? Yes. Yes. So um, the Eastern Orthodox Church, which uh, was was originally known as the Chalcedonian Orthodox, and we as the Coptic are part of the family of the Oriental Orthodox, we are also known as the non-Chalcedonian. So that distinction happened in the year 451 AD at an ecumenical council called the Council of Chalcedon. So this was a council where the whole church met together to discuss theological issues. And there was a difference of opinion about how to discuss and talk about the nature of Christ. And at the time, it was misunderstood by both sides to think that the other side is speaking some heresy. So essentially, both sides excommunicated each other because each person thought that the other person was heretical in their teaching and their understanding of the nature of Christ. So a split happened in the church. That was the very first split that happened in the Christian church was at 451. And so all of the, the, the churches that abided by the doctrine of the Council of Chalcedon, Chalcedon is a place where the council was held. Anyone who abided by it was called the Chalcedonian Orthodox, and all those who did not abide by it were called the non-Chalcedonian right? So we are non-Chalcedonian, and then the Greek church is one of the churches that's under the Chalcedonian. So from that point, the churches began to diverge in the sense that um, all of the saints that the Eastern Orthodox Church, which is the Chalcedonian Orthodox, um, have and, 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 and um, like, like ven uh, venerate, from that time, from 451 AD until today, we do not consider them to be saints. It doesn't mean that we don't, like, 
think they're good people, <laughs> right? But we don't officially consider them to be saints, and vice versa. All of the saints that we in the in the Oriental Orthodox Church venerate from 451 on, the Eastern Orthodox Church also doesn't see as being saints. And so we are not in communion with one another, meaning we cannot go and take communion in their churches, and they cannot come and take communion in our churches. Um, uh, it doesn't mean that we have a bad relation. So, for instance, like in one of the priest conferences that we have on an annual basis in the diocese, um, his eminence invited an Eastern Orthodox priest to come and give us a talk about um, homiletics, like how to give sermons and whatnot, because that's his area of expertise. So it's not that we have animosity necessarily between us, but officially we are still not in communion with, with one another. There have been efforts ongoing to try to resolve this schism that happened between the two churches. And there are even been joint statements that have been released, um, essentially where both churches state that the, the differences that resulted in that split were really just misunderstandings and that we have fundamentally uh, a very similar faith when it comes to the nature of Christ. So again, there are ongoing efforts to try to reunite again, which would be great, but um, officially, as of now, we are, we are still not in communion. There have been times where, um, because of extenuating circumstances, like for instance, there was a time where there was a group, like uh, in the early days when the diocese was still not very established and there were not many churches, uh, there was a group of Coptic people who lived in a certain city and they didn't have a Coptic church there or anywhere near them. And so um, Bishop Yusuf at the time, he spoke with the Greek bishop and they agreed to allow this group of Coptic people to go and take communion in a Greek Orthodox church. I believe it was Greek Orthodox, um, which typically would not be allowed, right? But it was permitted with the understanding that we fundamentally have the same faith, but this is something that has to be handled on a case-by-case -case basis based on the, the bishop's, you know, uh, approval, right? So, so that's kind of where we are. Right, so so we hope and pray that at one point in the future there can be a full reconciliation, and there is work being done to that. But as of now, we are not. Any other? Yes. So they they did. So. So, so there was a vote that happened, but in order for the reconciliation to happen, it has to be unanimous. So there was in the 90s, there was a council that was held where um, representatives from all of the different churches they met and they discussed the issue and then they made that joint statement saying essentially this is what we believe. They, 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 they said what we believe without using any of the hot button controversial words that caused the schism in to begin with because people understood the words to mean different things. So they said, let's describe our faith without using any of those words that trigger us, okay? So we, we did. And then everyone said, hey, we believe the same. And so after that point, there was a vote that was taken to say if we are going to reconcile. Every branch of orthodoxy from the Oriental side and from the Eastern side um, voted. On the Oriental side, every single church voted yes for us to reconcile. On the Eastern side, there were some verses that, that voted yes, but there were also some that voted no. And so it didn't go forward because of the, the ones who voted no. Yeah. 
I don't think in a in a in a I don't think like for typical issues there has to be unanimity. I think for this though, because you're talking about the kind of you're, you're talking about being in communion with a group. So let's say you're essentially trading one problem for another, right? So like if if you had the majority said yes, but the minority said no. So and then they decided to move forward. What would happen then to that minority? That minority would then come and say, "No, I I reject this, and I'm now not in communion with the rest of you, and we're going to go and be on our own." So you're essentially not really solving the problem. You increase the majority. No. Well, I mean, there's already now like like the Eastern Orthodox. There's more Eastern Orthodox than Oriental Orthodox, so they could consider themselves the majority. Right, and 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 actually, they refer to themselves as the Orthodox Church, right? And and many many people see the Oriental Orthodox as being schismatic. So so what I'm saying is this is a this is an issue of reconciliation where both parties have to be in agreement to reconcile. And if you have people who are holding out, then it's not really reconciliation. So we're waiting. We're waiting to see uh, what happens. Okay, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask for your blessing, and we ask, O Lord, that you help us to understand and learn the treasures of faith that we can find in the early church. Help us, O Lord, to find guidance and direction and enlightenment through all of the writings of the fathers, all those, O Lord, who came before us, who explained the faith to us, and who gave us a good role model and example of, to, of how to live righteously, even in the midst of persecution and suffering and all kinds of wickedness that we find in the world around us. Teach us your way, O Lord, and guard us and protect us and lead us to your everlasting kingdom. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior, Jesus Christ, the communion, the gift of the Holy Spirit, be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.